Do you smell that? Yeah, right there. Ugh, that reeks. That, dear listener, is what you say to yourself after you come back from a vacation and you're met with your home's medley of questionable scents. From Rover's dog bed that hasn't been washed in ages to the pile of stinky shoes in the front entryway, everyone's home, yep, even yours, kind of stinks. That's okay. Flip the funk on Life's Voters Puri, the same brand that brought you the iconic before you go toilet spray, Poopuri. Their non-toxic odor eliminators made from fresh essential oils keep your space smelling fresh. Use code GIRLBOSS to get 20% off your purchase of $25 or more, one-time use only, at Puri.com. That's P-O-U-R-R-I.com. And say goodbye to that stench. Offer expires on January 31st, 2023. Welcome back to Girl Boss Radio. I'm your host, Avery. I'm the founder of Bloom, a workplace design consultancy and a firm believer that work should work for all of us. Today, I'm joined by Kelly Burton. Kelly is the CEO of Black Innovation Alliance, an institution dedicated to closing the racial wealth gap. Kelly is an author, mentor, and speaker. And today we talk about the one woman wonder trope, radical collaboration, and how you can use LinkedIn to actually power your career. Let's get into it. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us today on Girl Boss Radio. I am excited to have you here. And you look very bright today. So for folks that aren't like, you're obviously listening in, I can see Kelly, but you can. She's wearing like this Kelly green shirt and like this great magenta lip color at the moment. So yeah, very bright. When I put on makeup, it's because, you know, I'm virtually meeting with someone. Otherwise, I'm walk around here with a bonnet on my head. So (laughs) aren't we all? Yeah. Mine's like the messy bun and like a headscarf. So I totally get you. So I want to dig right in. You're a speaker, author, community builder, entrepreneur, and LinkedIn pro. You're in the top 1% of users on the platform. For folks that are just learning about you now, tell us more about you, Kelly. Sometimes I feel like there are so many chapters to my life that I forget. (laughs) I forget many of them. I am technically a social scientist, even though I am not a practicing social scientist. I have a PhD in political science. I've started three businesses, a product-based business, a service-based business, and now I run a national nonprofit. So I feel like I have run the gamut of professional experience. So you are the CEO of Black Innovation Alliance, an ecosystem building institution dedicated to closing the racial gap through the direct support of Black-led innovator support organizations in service to Black entrepreneurs, tech founders, and creative technologists. Tell us a little bit more about the work that you're doing there. Sure. So BIA is a national alliance of about 86 organizations across the country. At BIA, we believe that if these organizations are stronger, if they are more sustainable, then entrepreneurs of color are going to be more successful. We believe that they function as the front line of support for entrepreneurs of color across the country. They're the ones that are doing the accelerators, the incubators, pitch competitions, but their work is pretty much hidden in plain sight. So much of what we do is about creating the platform that places a spotlight on their work and directing resources to them so that they can ultimately be sustainable. So it's exciting work. It keeps me very, very busy. BIA has grown. We started in 2020 and have grown to about a team member of 20 or so. We raised about $3 million over the course of the last 18 months. Wow, that's amazing. Was the, um, I call it the pseudo white awakening, but the uprising of the Black Lives Matter movement that inspired and motivated the inception of this business? 
I think in part because we were actually planning on getting together prior to the racial uprising of 2020. But what it did do, I think it was the coming together of COVID and the racial uprising. COVID, because we were all quarantined and BIA or bringing together BIA really served as a source of support for us. And it was very much in this, like a zeitgeist kind of moment where now all this energy is being directed to our community, hyper focus on Black entrepreneurs, and we were emerging as this intermediary in support of Black entrepreneurs. And so it was the effort meeting the moment. And I actually listened to a podcast where you're talking about the inception of this project. And one thing that really resonated with me was you talked about that you wanted to work against the one woman wonder trope after scaling your own consulting agency. And and for me, this hit deep because I have my own consulting agency. I started off as an independent contractor and I was just working as a consultant with a bunch of different organizations as a team of one. And then in 2019, I made the decision to build the team around me. And you talked a little bit about this one woman wonder trope. What does it mean to you? I find that when you're a woman and you have super high standards, And as a result, it makes it very difficult for you to delegate. It's already hard to grow and scale a consulting firm, but it's especially hard when you have a high standard and you really pursue excellence and you're a woman and you're a woman of color. So when all those things come together, you have a tendency to say, well, I'm just going to take it. Let me just do it. Let me just handle it. If I want to get it done and done right, that I'm going to have to take it on. So, so much of it was number one with my own businesses and scaling them to understand that I was not sufficient, that there is no way, that there's not enough time in the day for me to kind of scale myself. So I needed to scale a team. So that was a big learning. And then I had to build a whole set of skills to be able to manage my team. Well, a lot of entrepreneurs think that they are naturally good managers, but it's just totally the opposite. As a matter of fact, entrepreneurs are typically really poor managers for a range of reasons. So when it came to building and scaling the coalition, I just realized there's the African proverb about if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And that really has been real and true for us. And so we almost remix it a little bit to say, if you want to go further, faster, (laughs) do it together. You can't scale unless you scale your team. And then when I started building the team, I then realized as an HR person, I know that the number one skill that managers are not trained on is managing people. (laughs) It's like they're really good at their job and then get to a certain point in their career because they're really talented at what they do. But managing someone and building a team and, and actually supporting the growth of people that are reporting into you has a completely different skill set. I love when you mentioned this. And in that same conversation, you had talked about radical collaboration, which really stuck with me. And I think that it's such a powerful way to frame this, like, this concept of like, we go further together than we do apart. How can people listening apply radical collaboration to building a more fulfilling career for themselves? That's a great question. And it's something that I am actively trying to unpack, right? I think the starting point is self-awareness because (laughs) I tend to believe that given our social media age, people tend to be very self-absorbed but not particularly (laughs) self-aware. So we show up in community thinking that we are perceived one way when in truth, we're showing up in a totally different way. So for me, radical collaboration starts with 
radical self-awareness and being very mindful, very intentional, and very committed to doing my own work. Because then you can be assured that when you're attempting to collaborate, right, that you're coming from a really earnest, honest, sincere place and that you've developed the readiness to be able to even be a good collaborator or partner. So I think for me, that's the starting point. But beyond that, just being very clear that collaboration is very difficult. It's almost unnatural in certain ways because it's only something you do if you absolutely have to do it. Otherwise, you just do it on your own. And nobody really trains us on the capabilities of collaborating really well in cooperation. So it takes a lot of trust. It takes a lot of sacrifice. It takes the doorbell ring. <laughs> Hi, Amazon. <laughs> Thanks for the package. <laughs> oh, but it takes trust and it takes self-awareness and it requires sacrifice and appreciating that it's going to be difficult and hard. And the reason that the trust is important because it requires giving up of the grace Something's going to go sideways. Just know that it's probably a lot of somethings that are going to go sideways because cynically, you're just plowing your new territory, new terrain. So that trust piece is really, really difficult. But I would also say if you're going to radically collaborate, just have a big vision because why else are you doing it? You know, go big. If you're going to make the investment, go big. There's so many great examples of radical collaboration that I've observed over the years. And I think that really, like, if we're thinking about building a more inclusive workplace or even a more inclusive world of work, right, and really actively working towards removing barriers from some of our most marginalized communities, this does actually mean we need to work up against individualism as it relates to our careers. Individualism is a tenant of white supremacy. It is a tenant of capitalism. And I mean, I, we all say it's like, uh, <laughs> there's no ethical consumption under capitalism. Like this is the truth. But I do think that we can work towards ethically participating in capitalism because I mean, for the most part, most of us have to do that to survive. It means actually challenging the way that we've worked for all these years and challenging old ways of working. And I think that challenging the idea that we are in competition when we're not, there's more than enough to go around for everyone. Collaboration is incredibly important and we have to learn how to do it better in the corporate environment, especially people of color and women have really been forced to assimilate. Corporate America is not really built on principles of inclusion. It's like you might be a round circle, but you better figure out how to be a square pit up in here if you are going to last and survive. So the capabilities that we need to really be in inclusive community together, we have not built. Yeah, and I don't think it's ever been a core part of the way that we've navigated work either because you really go in alone and you leave alone, right? But what we're finding is that people are kind of working against this and creating new ways of working. And I mean, this is really what Girl Boss is all about, is about uplifting and sharing and crowdsourcing and, and not gatekeeping. With that said, I want to talk to you a little bit about success, speaking of successful women. Do you think that you are successful? Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, I... I do think I am successful and it's taken me a little while to get there because I am so driven. And there was a point in my life where no accomplishment was enough. And I was always trying to like strive for the next thing, but I'm definitely not in that chapter. That's kind of a chapter that I've left behind. I acknowledge the sacrifices that I've made and, and where I've come and what I've done. And when I think of a success, it's more around my quality of life than it is around what I have accomplished. That's what I really feel proud about. What else do you think defines success for you? I think success is when you're able to build your own life. 
you know, and you're able to build your own life. And so often we as women feel pressure to build our life according to what other people need, what your parents need, what your spouse or your partner needs, what the kids need, what your in-laws need, what your neighbor needs, what your girlfriends need, everybody but you. (laughs) And so I've been able to create a pretty unencumbered life which gives me freedom and I get to be free. I can literally roll out the bed whenever I get good and ready, you know, because I have a job where I tell my team, don't book any calls for me before noon because I won't be on it, right? I have created that life for myself. I wasn't able to exit college and be like, I'm not taking calls before noon. No, I have busted my hump for the last 30 years to be able to create the sort of life because I show up in a certain way, it gives me latitude to own my time. So I appreciate that. I'm grateful for that because, you know, most people around the world can't roll out the bed when they get good and ready. They don't have the latitude to be able to say what they will and will not do. And I'm very, very grateful for that. So, so much of it is the life that I've created for myself the quality of life and my ability to essentially own and protect my time. I feel like for me, my definition of success is when I have complete autonomy and agency over my energy and my time and where I spend it. And unfortunately, I'm not there yet. (laughs) So I'm still on the pursuit of what I would say is defining myself as, as successful, but I don't necessarily think that that's a bad thing. And imagine that there's a lot of folks that are listening in right now that aren't there and feel like maybe that is their definition of success. And they're really aligned with what you just shared, but they're really far away from it. What would you say to people that are reckoning with that right now, that are maybe sitting with that right now? So I would tell them, number one, be encouraged. Like people in my life know that I was having a conversation with a really good friend the other day and I was saying, I really don't have any margins. There's no margins of time in my life (laughs) because while I am able to protect my time, I'm still running one of the fastest growing nonprofits in the country. So that demands a tremendous amount of focus and a tremendous amount of time. So I mentioned that I woke up at four o'clock this morning and part of it, I'm working on a book. So part of that time went to working on this book, but the other part of it was drafting up a budget for my board. So even though I don't have to take calls before noon, there are still very much demands on my life, right? That require that I show up in ways that might, might be a little unconventional. So be encouraged. There is no, I haven't arrived at a perfect place, right? In terms of, I still I'm able to accomplish a lot because I have kind of perfected the art of focus and I don't have a whole lot of things outside of Kelly and my businesses that I'm responsible for. I have a very healthy marriage. My husband is very self-sufficient. I don't have any children, right? And so the demands that a lot of women have on their time are not necessarily on my time. So I could do a whole lot more with my time. But that said, I'm very mindful of, again, how I spend my time and where I direct my energy. So I would just say you never arrive. It's always a work in progress. If you're in a situation where you're maybe working in a corporate environment where you're required to be in a physical spot from nine to five, or maybe you're working in retail right now and and you're wanting to have a little bit more autonomy over your time on the weekends, like something as simple as that, I think that there's ways that you can draw boundaries in terms of how you work and when you work in little small ways over time. And I think that we've all been there. Like there was a time where I used to like ask if I go to the bathroom at work 
right? Like taking a bathroom break was like a thing or you would have a scheduled lunch break. You could just go for lunch when you wanted to. Like, and sometimes I'd get stuck with like the 10 a.m. lunch break. <laughs> and I'd be like, I just got here like an hour and a half ago. <laughs> I think that that's an important thing to share. And I remember like I've owned my company Bloom for now over four and a half years. And I got my first paycheck from Bloom probably four months ago. How hard it is to go from self-employed to being employee even of your own company. It means that you have to get to a place where you've got the profit margin to sustain employees, which is significant. So shout out to you. That's huge. A lot of people don't necessarily know this, but I think that for me personally, I didn't take a salary for two years because I wanted to invest in building the team from a consulting perspective and, and bring on really strong advisors. And I took kind of a big bet on two people specifically on my team, bringing them on and, and forfeited my <laughs> my own salary for about a year and a half in order to make that happen. But I mean, it was a really good bet to make because now I'm on salary and I have a paycheck, which is pretty wild. But also, fun fact, for people that are building their own businesses, this is not at all advice that I'm giving. It was a very bad decision for me to do this early days. I should have been paying myself simultaneously while I was building the business because I'm not going to get into the details of it because that's a whole other conversation, but it's important to pay yourself because otherwise you accrue an unnecessary amount of debt that will take a very long time to pay off. <laughs> yeah. I thought I was doing the right thing. And like, I feel like the saying is like, you don't be a hero. That's kind of what my, my CFO had said. <laughs> to this day, I have no personal debt, but I still have business debt. So... Could you use a free coffee every Friday? Of course you could. If you subscribe to Girl Boss Daily, our must-read morning newsletter, we'll grab your Starbucks for you. What else can you expect? The latest work trends curated by me, Victoria, Girl Boss's senior writer, and the rest of our incredible editorial team. There'll also be a sprinkle of pop culture and plenty of hot takes. Sign up by heading to girlboss.com slash newsletter. That's girlboss.com slash newsletter. You're listening to my conversation with Kelly Burton. Next up, we're unpacking professionalism and what it means to be a boss, especially for Black women. Keep listening. So I'm curious, when we think about success, we know what success means to you. How has your definition of success changed over the years? I have given up on controlling the outcome because ultimately all I can do is apply my best effort to a thing but the extent to which I'm going to get what I want is largely out of my control. You were saying earlier about us believing like we live in America. It's, so, you know, focused in individualism and meritocracy and all the things and self-reliance. And that's all well and good. And it's important to work hard. But so many other things have to come together, especially if you're like dreaming big, you're starting businesses that you want to scale and you want to be, a, you know, a unicorn and scale to eight figures, right? But a lot of other things have to come together in order for that to be successful. So for me, when it comes to anything that I launch or I'm a part of, I really learn to kind of say, okay, I'm going to show up God and I'm going to apply my best effort and I'm going to live on purpose today. And whatever happens, happens. And that's it. There is a time where I would really take it personal. I've had businesses that have been successful. I had businesses that failed. So you tend to internalize that. But I'm beyond that now where I'm like, look, look, I'm just showing up, doing my part and let the chips fall where they may. 
whether you have your own business and you're an entrepreneur, you're a solopreneur, or even if you're working a nine to five job and you're trying to climb that corporate ladder, which there's no shame in doing that, there's going to be failure along the way. So we should just embrace it because oftentimes failure is just a redirection. Absolutely. And you have to build a muscle for it because if you don't, you're never really going to aim for anything big. You're never going to aim for anything that is capable of disrupting things. And so for me, my entire career has been about, okay, this sucks. Like whatever is happening over here, there's got to be a better way. Let's figure out what's the better way. But if you don't build a muscle for failure and really kind of get comfortable in it and with it, then you really limit your ability to change things. Some of the worst things that you go through will prepare you for things that could be equally as bad in the future, but you will handle way differently. And these situations, in most cases, it's not necessarily as much about what happens to you, it's about how you navigate what happens to you, how you respond to what happens to you. So I remember when I was early in my career, I'm just going to kind of share this little story. I went through a terrible breakup and I think I was like 25 at the time. I took it so rough and so badly. I was fired from my job. (laughs) I was unable to function and perform. And I went from being like the top performer at the company to them sitting me down and being like, we do not know what's going on. We are not the same person. And your work is impacting everyone else here. Unfortunately, we're going to part ways with you. And I remember learning through that and really hurting from losing that opportunity, losing my sense of self, because it just kind of like flushed through me when I was going through that breakup. And about a year and a half ago, I was going through a similar situation, was with someone for four years. And after four years of us dating, they ghosted, gone. (laughs) And I had this muscle that I unfortunately built back when I was 25. And I was like, I can't go back to that same place. I can't spend weeks in bed crying. I can't call in sick every single day to work. I have to show up. I have to keep going. And this isn't necessarily toxic positivity or me promoting not holding space for yourself. I did hold space for myself, but I didn't allow it to destroy every aspect of my life. So I wanted to kind of share my own little anecdote around building muscles. Like, Sometimes these things are really terrible and not so great to go through, whether it be personally or professionally or where they collide together can be great lessons for you and they prepare you for whatever's to come. If we're all lucky, we'll live really long (laughs) and have robust, fulfilling lives filled with all the ups and downs that come along with life. (laughs) I follow a spiritual teacher named Father Richard Rohr. He's a Franciscan priest and he has this saying where he prays for a daily humiliation. One humiliation a day. I'm like, wow, that's deep. And so like when I'm walking in the airport and almost like bust my ass going up the steps, I'm like, well, there's my daily humiliation because I keep shallowing. And so I get there where I'm praying for a daily humiliation. But I get the gist of it where we really have to learn how to kind of manage our emotions around things and understand that in life, there will be ups and downs. And sometimes you will bust your ass in the airport. I love that. Being humbled on a daily basis is something that I think we all experience, but don't necessarily embrace. So I love that piece of advice. So as part of this new evolution of Girl Boss, we have to talk about who Girl Boss left out in the early days of our journey. How do you think version one of Girl Boss was different for Black women than what, I guess, version 2.0 of Girl Boss is today? I think that's a really good question. And I'll tell you how I think about it, which might be just a little bit controversial. 
I'm not necessarily wired to spend a lot of time lamenting the spaces where I'm not allowed to show up as myself, right? I will show up and I will have a drink and I will look around and if I am not received and folks are like, Kelly, it's so great that you're here. Like, come in, we, we welcome you. I'm like, all right, well, this is, I'm out, right? Because I value myself at this stage of life and I'm so grateful for this. I'm 44 years old. At 44 years old, I know who I am. I know what I'm good at. I know the areas where I'm literally the 1%, right? And I also know the things that I have no business doing. So I'm very clear. Like if I'm showing up and I'm not welcome or received, I'm out. And I don't spend a lot of time thinking about, well, why don't they let me in? And don't they see what they're missing? I'm just on to the next thing. And so much of how I show up in the world is, and I've done it with founders of color and many of our members at Black Innovation Alliance, we went to the startup space. We went to the white-led accelerators. We went to the white tech conferences and people ignored us and pretended that we were invisible and didn't give us an opportunity or a shot. And we're like, well, all right, that's cool. We're going to go over here and build this thing. So that's really how I think about it. But that's just how I approach life, broadly speaking. If there's a space that does not welcome me, I'm just going to build a different space. And do you think that a lot of women of color and Black women decided to build their own space in response to the early days of Girlboss? I think a lot of Black women and women of color generally are deciding to just do their own thing. Like women of color are the fastest growing demographic of entrepreneurs and among the Black women are the fastest growing demographic even among women of color. And so similar to the experience that you had, a lot of us show up in corporate America, our genius is not valued. And we're like, you know what? This is stressful. I'm out. Like I trust myself. I trust my value and my worth. And I'm going to give it a shot and try to take my destiny into my own hands. So I think across the board, Black women, especially because when we think about the social hierarchy in this country, Black women have always been at the bottom, 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 bottom. So in the ways that a lot of our white female counterparts, our experience is different because we don't have we don't have anything to lose. Right? We're already the heel stuff that people are scraping off of their shoe. So for us, that's kind of how we show up in the world. We're going to be ourselves and <laughs> and we have we have zero Fs to give. Right. Because we haven't been privileged. We haven't been cherished largely in American society. And maybe white women have not been privileged, but they've definitely been cherished. <laughs> they definitely have been cherished. And like white femininity is a thing. And it's something that is thought to be very virtuous in American society. And black women have not really ever been offered femininity or to be delicate or precious or something to be valued. So a lot of us probably have a mentality where we're a lot more likely to <laughs> defect probably than our counterparts that come from other backgrounds. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that generally speaking, we found ourselves in these spaces before. And, and I'm speaking from my experience being a Black biracial woman. I was very vocal in terms of what I saw, what I observed from Girl Boss. I was very vocal about my apprehension and my disdain for Girl Boss in the early days because I just saw this essentially to me, it translated to like, to like the epitome of white feminism. 
And specifically, when we think about the workplace and our careers and this idea of like even professionalism, like who is a boss? What is the idea of it? And it just kind of translated to instead of white hat, cis, non-disabled men, it was just like the same version of these men, but in the the woman form. Like, so it was white hat, non-disabled women that were like the pinnacle of like the boss. And I think that oftentimes women movements, as we know, with first and second and third wave feminism was centered around white women and oftentimes left out trans women, black women, and other women of color. So yeah, I think that I'm really proud to be a part of the new evolution of Girl Boss for sure. And I've long observed the shift prior to making the decision to be a part of this podcast. But I definitely wanted to have a conversation with you about it because I know that this is like deeply connected to the work that you do. And I'm sure that there's some folks listening in right now that either weren't aware of it or they were aware of it and they were expecting us to talk about it. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. I'm in a place where I'm very much, I try to live a grace-infused life because I need grace every day and I try to offer it up. And I've come to realize that we all have our work to do and white women also have their work to do in terms of really reconciling how white male patriarchy shows up in their life, in their world, how they move. You are known for your authentic value-packed content on LinkedIn. And I want to talk about LinkedIn because you've been identified as in the top percent of LinkedIn creators and users, which is amazing. And I myself haven't invested a ton of time into LinkedIn, but it has been a huge part of mobilizing my career and in my opinion, my success to date. So how can people listening leverage LinkedIn to empower their dream career? So first of all, it's important to know that less than 1% of users post content regularly. So consistency is key. You have to find a good little like groove because I think my content on LinkedIn resonated because it wasn't professional tips on how to X, Y, and Z. It was more about sharing my life as a professional person and the things that I was navigating on a regular daily basis. It wasn't good fodder for Facebook. It wasn't good fodder for Instagram, but it was perfect for LinkedIn. So that's the other mistake that I see people making. They kind of type their content from other platforms into LinkedIn, thinking that it's going to be effective. But I would say the happy place is really be transparent and vulnerable about your experience as a professional person, not necessarily coming in as the expert on X, Y, Z, yada, yada, yada. And you wrote a book and it's titled How I Use the World's Largest Professional Network to Build a Nationally Recognized Brand. So you are the authority in this. How can people leverage LinkedIn to build a more robust social network? The visibility is key. So much of it when you're trying to build a business is about allowing people to have access to you so that if you ever have to reach out to them, they already feel like they know you and it's not cold. So a lot of the people who interact with me on LinkedIn or have seen me on LinkedIn, we've already broken past that getting to know you because they already feel like they know me because I am who I am, whether I'm in person or whether I'm on LinkedIn. Yeah, totally. And I think that a lot of people shy away from it because they feel that LinkedIn is specifically for professional networking. And it's not a place where you can be vulnerable and show parts of your authentic self. I've definitely seen a trend of more and more people sharing parts of themselves on LinkedIn. And I love that you're encouraging people that are listening in to do that, because I think that that is the key to building those bridges and building those connections. Yeah, for sure. It's been a win-win for me. So I have some rapid fire questions for you. (laughs) 
You ready? Let's do it. Okay. So how many unread emails do you have in your inbox? <laughs> oh God. Um, none. Cause I always read them. Even if I don't respond, it's bad. You're our first zero. Wow. Okay. Are you more productive in the AM or in the PM? Definitely afternoon PM, early PM. Okay. What does being a girl boss mean to you? Being your authentic self and being open to that looking different from day to day. Yes. Yes. Okay, cool. And I have a ask a girl boss question. We have a question for every single episode that we do. And the question we have from our community member is, I have no education in business, but I have many ideas. What are the steps to materialize business ideas? I have no education in business. (laughs) My degrees are in political science. So you just got to get it done. Put one foot in front of the other. We have the internet. (laughs) Back in the day, you had to go to the library, get a library card, and fill it out, the little card, you know, you, all the knowledge, I'd say 95% of the knowledge that human beings have aggregated over the last several thousands of years are at the like stroke of a keypad. So do the work, go on YouTube, go on TED Talks, chip stuff away. Do not overthink it. Do not fall into the paralysis of analysis where you're deep diving into all the ways that you don't have what's necessary to do X, Y, and Z. You've got everything that you need. You just need to do it. I think that maybe of the ideas that you have, think about the one that you're most passionate about, the one you're most aligned with, and the one that's maybe deeply connected to a purpose or mission that you're really connected with. And I think that that will help to lead you down the path of actually materializing it into a business. So Kelly, with that, I have to thank you. This was such a great conversation. I know people listening in have learned so much and have probably taken away so many great little tidbits and tips in terms of how they can actually transform their career. And I'm still blown away by your tip on LinkedIn. I did not know that. And I spend my life on LinkedIn. So thank you so much. Is there anything you want to leave people with before we wrap up our conversation? Just commit to building your own life the life that you want to live because there are going to be a lot of people who have thoughts about what you should be doing, but nobody's got to live your life with you. That's it. We love that. (laughs) Thank you so much, Kelly. Thank you for listening to my chat with Kelly. I don't know about you, but I'm feeling inspired to collaborate more and not be a one woman wonder. Asking for help when you need it is a vibe. I have a small update for you. Girlboss Radio is taking a short break. I'm headed back to Iceland, so the next time you hear from me, I'll be back in my favorite place. I intend to eat lots of food and drink lots of champagne between now and the next time you hear from me. Tune in on January 10th for a new episode. This podcast is produced by Liz Cooper and Victoria Christie and edited by Diego Domine. Until next time, keep blooming.